You are listening to a sermon by Pastor Christopher Sally of New Life Christian Fellowship Church. The one thing you must do, the one thing you should ask for, the one thing you need, the one thing you're probably lacking. Jesus starts in Mark chapter 10, or this passage starts in Mark, Mark chapter 10, and the scripture confirms uh, through the parallel accounts between Luke 18 and Matthew 19 and Mark 10, there's a picture of this young man where in some passages he's called a rich ruler, a young ruler, and so he's the rich, young ruler. So here is somebody, and here in Mark chapter 10, it just says a man ran up to him, but he, it's the, it's the, the uh, exploration of Jesus's interaction with a rich, young ruler. And so we see him coming uh, to Jesus, and what you see that you should notice first and foremost is he's running and he's kneeling. Amen. These, th- this is showing some sense of urgency, and as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him, and he said to him, good teacher, He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In the parallel passage in Matthew 19, it's recorded slightly differently, and it says, good teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And what it shows us at the very least that we can conclude by his posturing and by what he says to Jesus that this rich young ruler was at the very least respectful. Amen. He, he had a, a understanding at least somewhat of who he was talking to. Some understanding. He knew that and good teacher was not something that that, that was not an honorific that, that you bestowed on someone lightly. You didn't go around calling people good teacher. That just wasn't what you did. But Obviously, he had seen Jesus. Obviously, he had heard of Jesus. Obviously, uh, some of the miracles and things that had happened uh, that were attributed to Jesus, he ran up to him. I can, I can see him with, the, with that sense of urgency that says, this is the person that can answer this question for me, and I'm going to treat him respectfully. I'm going to come. I'm going to run. I'm going to kneel, and I'm going to call him, good teacher, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. So we can conclude not only was he respectful, we can also conclude he was thoughtful. Amen? He was contemplating the question that needs to be complicated, uh, 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 the, the, the question that needs to, to be considered, amen? He was, he was contemplating that question. It really is the final jeopardy question. We're not talking about single jeopardy or double jeopardy. We're talking about this is final jeopardy. Where are you going to spend eternity? What, is, what, what can you do to inherit eternal life? That's the, the ultimate question, amen? And so at the very least, this rich young l- ruler with everything he he had done or seen or experienced, figured he had an opportunity to approach this good teacher and ask him this question. I've been thinking about this. I've been contemplating this. I've been considering this. I know what my set of experiences has been, but I want to know what good thing or what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? So he was respectful and he was thoughtful. 
But that's not enough. Look at the interaction and look at what Jesus, how Jesus challenges him. And again, this can, this, we, we could, we could take a detour on, on this beat here and we could just, we could just lay here if we needed to. We, we won't. But, but for Jesus to say this, I need you to understand the import of this. This is so powerful. It's so important because Jesus said, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Now, listen, Jesus wasn't saying, don't call me good. Jesus was telling him, if you call me good, understand what you're saying. You're calling me God. And guess what? That's exactly who I am. Amen. He said, don't, don't get it twisted. I know you're running. I know you're leaning uh, uh, and, and, you're, and, and you're kneeling and all of that. But you need to understand, you throw that around, what, who's good, who's not. Nobody does good except God. So if you're going to call me good teacher, you better understand what you're saying. I'm not just a nice guy that's done some miracles. I'm not just a guy who's a prophet. I'm not just a guy that may be able to give you some advice about eternal life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby must we, we must be saved. There is, and this is eternal life, he says in John 17, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. I'm more than a good teacher. I literally am the way. I literally am the path to eternal life. And you just don't know who you're talking to. And the reason you don't know who you're talking to is because you're just like every other human being. You think you know what's good and you can't find good with a search party and a flashlight. What you think is good and what I think is good is so far below what God is doing in terms of good. And this feeds into what we've been talking about the last few weeks. Jesus is really, he is the only one that can discuss good. He's the only one that can decide good. Why? Because he's really the only one that can do good. Amen. And so there's power in Jesus being able to level set. With him, why calleth now me good? I don't think you know who you're talking to. Matter of fact, I know you don't know who you're talking to. Because Jesus says, listen, you know the commandments. Jesus is drawing him in. Jesus is, is smooth with his. You know the commandments. I just, he said, I'll just give you five and then maybe one that uh, supports two of, two of the commandments because it's not 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 necessarily a commandment, but he says in the Decalogue, and 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 you, you've got these commandments. Jesus kind of goes over the ones that that are are based upon the the horizontal relationship that you have with others, as opposed to the vertical relationship that you have with God, because those horizontal ones are the ones that are more easily observable. And so I believe that's why he picked those. And he says, you know the commandments: do not murder. That's observable. <laughs> Do not commit adultery. 
Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And I can see this rich young ruler like, yes, this is awesome. That's what that's his, That's the answer. Hey, I've been doing these since I was a boy. So not only he says, shoot, I'm respectful and I'm thoughtful and I'm dutiful. But that's not enough. Respectful, yeah. Thoughtful, yeah. Dutiful. I, I, I've paid attention to the law. I, I, I've, I've done everything that I, I think that there is to do. But you also can notice this. He called him good teacher before. And when and Jesus broke down that only God was good, he dropped the good. He said teacher, which lets you know he did not know who he was talking to. He didn't call him good teacher again. Jesus said to him, only, only God is good. Only God alone is good. And so he's not good teacher anymore. It's just teacher. He dropped that down because now, I don't, I don't, again, he doesn't know who he is, his, is talking to. And, and, and really, if you look at Matthew 19 and 16, he, he says in that, at that account, he says, what good thing must I do to, in, what good teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Again, it, it's a focus really on a works-based uh, uh, faith expression. Amen. It's about what you do. It's about what you do. It's about what you do. He said, okay, Jesus says, I got you. You want to talk about what you do? Yes. I see that you have been respectful. No question about it. I'm glad that you have been thoughtful. No question about it. I'm even a little bit excited for you that you've been dutiful. But what does the scripture say? Jesus looked at him and loved him. And said to him, one thing you lack. And I think it's important for you to understand that underlying the response to Jesus is the expression of Jesus's love as a foundation for you to even respond to. Jesus looked at him and loved him. It, it's, it's as if he, he, he looked into his eyes. It's as if maybe even, you know, I can see it, you know, he kind of talks a little bit with his hands and he really looks at him. He wants him to know that I love you. And again, when you understand that, that God loved us, that's why we can even contemplate loving him he first loved us and then he hasn't done it yet but then the sacrifice of his son on the cross of calvary is the ultimate expression of his love his love goes first he says i love you and even with jesus loving you being respectful and being thoughtful and being dutiful is not enough not for eternal life not for eternal life and that's Jesus looked at him and looked and said, one thing, one thing you lack. Go. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come. Follow me. And the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Having great wealth is not necessarily 
the problem. But what we discover is he was respectful, he was thoughtful, he was even dutiful, but what he was not was trustful. You must be trustful, and if you are not trustful, you'll never be useful. If you're not trustful, you'll never be fruitful. If you're not trustful, you'll never be successful. Not in the kingdom of God. If you're not trustful, you'll never be useful. If you're not trustful, you'll never be fruitful. If you're not trustful, you'll never be successful. Not in the kingdom of God. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And as we look and we'll see, and we look at Luke chapter 16, we'll see as he called him master, as he called him teacher, he went away sad because he realized at that exact moment that he actually had another master. There's always another master that is competing for your trust and attention for the Savior. And I can tell you, and the Bible will tell you, that the most distracting, the most dominating, and the most devastating uh, master that is competing for your attention and trust of God is money. You didn't hear me. I said that the most distracting, the most dominating, and the most devastating master that is competing for your attention and trust, that master for, for Jesus Christ, that master, that, that most dominating and devastating and distracting master is money. It's money. It's money. You don't believe me. Matthew chapter 13, we were in it a little bit last week. Brother Marcus Crawford was in it a little bit the week before that. But this is that parable uh, that, uh, that Jesus told about the sower going to sow the seed and the seed that fell on the wayside and then some in stony soil and some in thorny soil. And again, those, those seeds that fell in, in good soil. But again, there were th three ways that, that kind of, you know, wayside, the seed wasn't, didn't bring forth good fruit. And if it was in stony soil, it didn't, and it was in thorny soil. It's that thorny soil that I want to talk about. And Jesus interpreted the parable in Matthew 13, and particularly that thorny soil in verse 22. And he said, he also that receives seeds among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. It is distracting if you are pursuing money. Amen? It's distracting. Jesus puts a very fine point on it here. He says, the one thing you're lacking is, I know you have two masters, and I need you to choose. Why? Because I want it all. The one thing you're probably lacking is you're not giving Jesus your all. Undivided, completely focused, single-minded devotion, full-out obedience. That's what Jesus is expecting. That's what he deserves, full-hearted obedience. And he says, that's what I need. I don't need, 
I don't need your time or your treasure or, or your talent. I actually need all of those things. I need it all because then that demonstrates to me that you're truly going to be sold out. You're truly going to follow me. There were people in the Bible that, that, that Jesus didn't say sell everything and follow me. Amen. That was a particular instance. And I'm not telling you that you have to go out after this service and sell everything to follow Jesus. You have to do what God tells you to do. Matter of fact, there was that man that that was delivered that had the demons that was uh, that was walking among the tombs. And he said, what is your what's your what is your name? Demon said, we're legion for we are many. And that man tried to get into the boat when he got saved and he got cured, excuse me, and, and he got delivered. He tried to come in the boat with Jesus. He says, I, I want to go where you go. And he said, no, I don't need you to follow me. I need you to go and tell everybody in the region what I did for you. So again, there's a, a particular uh, prescription here because Jesus knows what the particular problem is. Amen. He said for that, that man in that other passage of scripture, he didn't say you have to sell everything and follow me. He says what I need you to do and go and tell, run, tell that is what I need you to do. Amen. But for this guy, he said, I need to see because I suspect and I know I said probably, Jesus said definitely one thing you lack. You are not undivided and sold out. And the way I will test that is I will see if you will sell everything you have and follow me. That's a pressure point. And money is always a pressure point for you and for me. It is the most what? Distracting, de dominating, and devastating a devastating master competing for your attention and trust. It's the most distracting as we see in, in Matthew 13 and 22 because he said the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, that's, that's, that shows you that it's distracting. You don't believe me that it's the most dominating. Look at Luke chapter 12. You look at Luke chapter 12, and I love this chapter, this passage of Scripture, and we've talked about it before. And Jesus, Jesus said in the meantime, in verse 1, when they were gathered together, a, a new, an innumerable, multitude of people in so much as they trolled upon one another he began to say to his disciples first of all he said beware of the leaven of the pharisees that was the first thing that he said and i and i and i and he also said be not afraid of them that kill the body and after that they have no more to do and and he then and so he said beware of the leaven of the pharisees he said don't be motivated by the masses amen don't be motivated by the masses. That was his takeaway. Hey, no matter what happens as I'm instructing you, and Jesus did this when the crowds got big. Jesus didn't preach an open invitation sermon. He got confrontational. When the crowds got big, he said, here's an opportunity for me to really speak to my disciples and let everybody else listen in. He said, beware. Don't be motivated by the masses. Because that's what the Pharisees are motivated by. And then he says, don't be motivated by the mighty. Don't fear them that can kill the body. He said, fear him that if he kills the body can throw your soul into hell. You need to be fearing God, not man. Don't be motivated by the masses. Don't be motivated by the mighty. And then when he gets all the way over to verse 15 of Luke 12, somebody says to him, and one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said, man... Who made you a judge? Who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto him, take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things he possesses. 
Don't be motivated by the masses. Don't be motivated by the mighty. Don't be motivated by the money. And this is the story, the parable he tells about the man who had the barns and said, yeah, my barns are getting full. What should I do? I know what I, I know what I'll do. I'll tear them down and build bigger ones. Big, big, big barns is my problem. So that so if I got too much stuff, I just need to build a bigger barn. And he says, that's what I'll do. And he says, my soul will say thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul will be required of thee. And then who shall get those things which thou hast provided? So it is with he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Who's laying up treasure for himself. And you see what Jesus told the man in Mark chapter 10. He says, says, go and you will have treasure in heaven. Again, the laying up's not the problem. The location's the problem distracting money is distracting money is dominating it dominated what that man in Luke chapter 12 wanted to do so much so that he said I don't have a money problem I don't have a pursuit problem he said I have a barn problem and if I just get a bigger barn I'll be straight it's the most dominating and then in first Timothy chapter 6 verses 6 through 10 I want to show you that it is the most devastating master because in Luke chapter I mean excuse me in first Timothy chapter 6 in verse in verse 6 through 10 it says this but godliness with contentment is great gain godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world come on somebody and it is certain we can carry nothing out that's why funeral suits don't have any pockets, because you cannot take it with you. And having food and clothing, let us therewith be content. But here it is. But they that will be rich fall into a temptation and snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money is the root of all evil which while some has coveted after some have pursued it that that love of money you pursue money it has they have erred from the faith and I love this and this is why it has to be read in the King James and pierced themselves through with many sorrows devastating the love of money because if you make as we learn depending what your priority is it sets your pursuit it sets your pursuit it sets your, your practices whatever your priority is that's what you pursue and if you say it's all about the money then you're going to set up your entire life to get it and gain it and if you don't get this if you don't get this truth that godliness with con contentment is the great gain the corruption to that will be that you will long for money you will love money you will live for money and you will lose for money
That's what the scripture says. Those are those verses. It says, I understand you will you you'll long for it. You'll 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 love it. You'll 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 live for it. And then you will lose for it. You will plunge yourself into uh, again, uh, pierce yourself through with with many sorrows. Again, that that pursuit of money. So again, I promise you when Jesus is telling him the thing that you're lacking is you have another master. You are calling me the good teacher. You, you, you even dialed it down to this teacher in other, in, uh, in other passages. It's just master, good master, master. He called him master. Jesus says, I can't be your master if you have divided interests. You cannot serve both God and money because either you will love the one and hate the other. Amen? You can't serve two masters. That's why he went away sad, sad because his master was his money. But he ain't the only one. God wants it all. He wants it all. He wants it all. And nothing less. Just being respectful, that's not going to get it done. Just being thoughtful, nice. Being dutiful. Not enough. Even when you know that God loves you, you've got to be trustful. And he proved that he could not trust in God and he would rather trust in his money. That's why he left. <laughs> and look at the disciples. <clears throat> First of all, the disciples are us. We are the disciples. So don't don't clown them like like that, because if you was in the group, you'd be saying the same thing. And so would I. OK, they looked up. And they said, Jesus said, how hard it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Why, why are they saying that? Because they've always, and people always conflate resources with righteousness. You must be loved by God. Look where you live. You must be having God's favor because you have all of this money. The rich man was thinking about it. He says, I know I'm doing really well, but I'm still wondering, do I have eternal life? But I think I'm doing pretty good. Why? Because I'm paid in full. I've got money. I've been respectful. I've been thoughtful. I've been dutiful. And he says, and the disciples were like, well, then who then can be saved? If a rich man can't go, who can go? Because you've already shown your favor to him. He's rich. I told you, we don't have any concept of what God is doing in terms of what's good and what's not good. We can't find it because we're just not on his level. We don't think like he thinks. That's why Isaiah 55 says, your ways are, are not our ways and your thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As high as the heaven is above the earth are your ways above our ways and your thoughts above our thoughts. He said just because people get on a grind and they end up with resources doesn't mean that resources mean righteousness. It doesn't mean that if they've been blessed in this life they'll be blessed in the next if they're laying up treasure on earth does not mean they're laying up treasure in heaven where moth and rust don't consume and thieves don't break through and steal for where your treasure is there will your heart be also he says it's the laying up is not the problem it's the location that's the problem 
And Peter, the most practical one of them all, said, well, shoot. Who, he said, well, shoot. We, 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 we giving up everything to follow you. What we going to get? It's a good question. You said, you told him to follow you. We did follow you. What we going to get? I ain't mad at Peter. Because if you was there, you would be thinking it, but you might not say it, but you would be waiting for Peter to say it. And if we were all there, you would be waiting for me to say it. Thank you, P. Sal, for asking that very important question. But Jesus had already told him, with man it is impossible, with God all things are possible. And so Peter said, we have left everything to follow you. And he says, I tell you the truth, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or feels for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, <laughs> and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first he said you you made the right choice you're going to get on and trust me i got you what he did is not what you want to do what you've done is what you want to do and i just want to remind us as we look at luke chapter 14 again there are certain costs to following jesus costs that this man did not want to pay but there is a full accounting if you will of costs and it's three levels for sure that are mentioned in Luke chapter 14 and you have to pay all of them otherwise you literally the scripture says cannot be his disciple you will not follow if you don't understand these costs if you don't understand these what these pursuits you just won't do it it's Luke chapter 14, and, and I'm going to flip to it in my Bible. You can flip to it in, in your Bible as well. In Luke, in Luke chapter 14, he, he, says, he says this. Hmm. He says this. None of these men, were, uh, he said, and there was great multitudes with him. And he says, if any man come after me and hate not his father and his mother, his wife, his children, his brethren, his sister, yea, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What is he saying? You got to have a surpassing love at the cost of personal relationships. He says the love that you have for me has to be so profound that when we look at the love you have for other people, that love actually looks like hate. He's not telling us to hate our brothers and the sisters and our mothers and our fathers, but he says, you got you to gotta have a surpassing love for me that will come at the cost of personal relationships. If you don't want to count that cost, you can't be my disciple. It's not just that. He says this, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be. You can't be my disciple if you don't have a, it's not just a surpassing love, if you don't have a surrendered life. You got to surrender your life. That's going to come not at the cost of personal relationships. That comes at the cost of personal rule. You got to be able to say, I'm not in charge anymore. I've got to be able to say, you're in charge. I'm not in charge. I got to have a surrendered life. That's why he says, if you don't bear your cross and come after me, you cannot be my disciple. 
And verse 33 says, so likewise, whoever he, he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. That's, isn't that always the last level for us? The cost of personal rule. Yup. The cost of personal relationships. Yeah, but it's also going to come at the cost of personal riches. Surpassing love, surrendered life, sacrificial loyalty. If you don't have it, you cannot be his disciple. It's so important. And it's so powerful to think about, even if you think about the, the compromises in Egypt that, that Pharaoh gave to the children of Israel. He wanted them to first compromise on their response to God. He said, just go and worship right here. Then he didn't want them to go far, compromise on your relationship with God. Then he says, then he says go, but don't bring anybody with you. Compromise on your reach for God. And then he says, go, but leave all your possessions here. Compromise on your resources in God. That's always the same. The wallet is the last thing to go because Pharaoh knows if you leave your wallet in Egypt, you will be back. And the enemy knows it, too. And that's why he's always trying to get you to compromise yeah, you go. Go ahead. You're saved. That's exciting. And you got your family saved and you want to be on fire. Great. But if you leave your wallet in Egypt, you're not giving God all. And if there's a chance that I can get you to serve and pursue another master, I know that that master will be distracting and it'll choke the, choke the word. I know that that master will be dominating, having you focus on building bigger barns. And I know that that master will be devastating because you will pierce yourself through with many sorrows. And so the question is, how do you move forward and how can you get there? And there's really one way to do that. This, this, this master of money, and we've talked about it. And somebody in this congregation, I'm not going to say who, actually wrote a book about it. Wrote a book that says, money, how to think about it, how to use it. I don't know. Maybe you might find that book to be useful to you in terms of understanding that if you can't get a handle on how you think about money and how you use money, you will never give God all and you will be lacking one thing. I don't want to hear from Jesus that I'm lacking something. He says, I need you to follow me and I need you to understand that it will come at the cost of personal rule and personal riches and it will come at the cost of personal relationships. And you've got to get this into your spirit. And we're not going to spend any real time on it now, but I'm going to encourage you. Maybe, just maybe, you might want to look at that book. Maybe. But Luke chapter 16 reminds us that we are stewards and not owners. A steward manages on behalf of the owner. The owner owns and the steward manages. If you don't get that biblical truth 
it can mess you up. But if you can get it, it'll be revolutionary in your life. How do you think about money? Because then you'll, you'll, you'll likely think about it correctly. You'll, 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 you'll look at chapter 16 in Luke and you'll realize that I have to use money and not waste it. I will use money and not abuse it. I'll use money and not serve it. I'll use it correctly because it'll lead to true wisdom and true riches and true service. That's what's being said in Luke chapter 16. Use it. Don't waste it. Use it. Don't abuse it. Use it. Don't serve it. There's true wisdom and true riches and true service that comes. And God is using money as a test for you. He is testing you. He says, where do your loyalties lie? Is it with this master or is it with me? And that's where he says in Luke chapter 16 when he, when he tells them, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And this is how you really, 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 really know he was preaching. Because the scripture says right after that, and the Pharisees who loved money began to deride him. It's like, what? What's wrong with money? What is he saying? He says, there's something wrong with it if it becomes your master. I'm your master. <laughs> you say, well, what does he want? Everything. <laughs> what must I give? Everything. <laughs> what will it cost? Everything. What will I gain? Everything. He wants it all. 